Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. All right, Pat, Josh, great job on that uh, on that live series. We had so many questions, like, and you guys just provided an endless source of information. Like, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that podcast like multiple times and just figure out all that stuff. But we've got we have a whole bunch of questions. Like, we had such great audience engagement. And with the goal with this is to answer all the questions. So we got a ton of them. We're just going to do rapid fire. We'll go, you know, Pat, you take one, Josh, you take one. Um, if, if a question's catered to, to the other person, just, you know, say pass and we'll move to the next one. So goal is to just knock out all these questions as fast as possible. So you guys ready? Fire yep. up. All right. In tournaments, how do you make yourself slow down and pick areas apart when your heart is racing. Uh, 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 yeah, honestly, my heart doesn't race much in the tournament. It races a lot before the tournament. Once it's go time, it's go time. But not my mind, my mind races a, a whole bunch. And it, that is the keyest question of everything that comes to bass fishing tournaments, when to go, when to stay. Uh, when to change, when to keep doing what you're doing. And that, that I, I honestly, it just comes with experience and it comes with, you know, you got to have a brain to, to know that you remember seeing, you know, this or, or, and it's just a gut call. And that comes from purely just from time on the water. Mm-hmm. Great answer. Best two tips for a new angler. I'd yeah. say, uh, spend as much time on the water as you can. And, spend a lot of time researching different things you know whether it's on youtube or you know series like we just did uh there's a lot of good information out there that'll speed up the process for you but time on the water is still the the biggest thing that's going to help you out in the long run yeah can i add one thing can i add one thing onto that Uh, absolutely that's time on the water and and know that bad days are as useful as good days that's a big deal. Like, you know what not to do sometimes and learning, learning that. So bad days can be as productive as good days, as long as you learn not to keep making that same mistake. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Learn from those experiences. Are you spending more money on the rod or the reel? I'd say rod. You can get a very good reel for, you know, 150 bucks, but in the end, I, I really think a, a, a higher quality rod in, in certain scenarios, you know, if you really need that sensitivity to feel, feel a light jig or, you know, something that requires a lot of sensitivity, then I would say the rod. Mm, good answer. Any local events you're looking forward to? Uh, actually, this, to fish any. Yeah, I don't think I will either. I'm fishing just a, a lot of tournaments and a long ways away from home. And when I am, I'm I'm guiding. That's that's I, I really enjoy doing. Got a long clientele, so but I am looking forward to get back into uh, to fishing some tournaments at home for sure. If you could, what would one be? Oh, well, for me, uh, the Chatech chain for me. Yeah, that'd be good. I'd say. I'd, 
I'd say the the Denny Super Thirty. I grew up fishing those on, on Lake Minnetonka or the the St. Jude tournament on the Mississippi River. It's a excellent cause, and it's you know hammer row as far as fishermen and the river is just such a great place to fish. Nice. When would you fish a jig compared to a Texas rig? Uh, I I always prefer. I'll always try to fish a jig over a Texas rig whenever I can. Um, but sometimes if it's really thick cover, like if you're punching a mat or, or something really nasty thick, then a Texas rig will generally come through better. Okay. Uh, tips on Texas rig sinkles throwing into algae. Mm. Uh Maybe don't throw it. <laughs> Pick algae. a new list. I don't know. Like, what? I don't know. <laughs> like, kind of say, don't like, do it. <laughs> okay. There, there's your answer. Butt. There's your yeah. answer. Pick a new bait. Um, here's a good one. Best boat snack. He'll know. That's his deal. Dude. Oof. Well, you got to have jerky for sure. And you got to have Diet Mountain Dew. And I also prefer a whatchamacallit candy bar. Those are nice. kind of mainstays for me. Josh, you got one snack? Yeah, I I like venison sticks. I I can live on venison sticks. So if, if those are those are there, and I'll, I'll probably be uh, I'll probably be pretty good with, with venison sticks the whole day. Mm-hmm, same here. Venison sticks and dots yeah. pretzels. Those are my two. Yeah. Oh, dots. God. Yeah, dots. Are good. <laughs> Um, how do you tell where fish are spawning when you're bank fishing or can you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely you should be able to, yeah. Make sure the sun's behind you so you can, uh, not in your eyes, make sure the sun's sunshine. I mean, heck, we're trying to be on the bank. As a matter of fact, I have, I have in numerous times during tournaments, parked my boat and walked the bank to be able to see. Uh, fish on beds so they're going to be pretty close to the bank in a, in a lot of situations very cool do you ever catch walleye while bass fishing all the time all the time especially in the pre-spawn when you're throwing that jerk bait i tell walleye guys that all the time they catch you go out and catch 15 20 walleyes in a day in a jerk bait and a lot of times you get really really nice ones and they're out there trolling their lindy rig around catching one a day Okay, go to midsummer structure. Uh, rock, rock spines, rock piles coming off of weed lines are always a really good spot. The bluegills and everything will be out there. So you got, you got. I work on a point system. You know, if there's rocks there, that's one point. If there's forage there, that's one point. If you have a grass line, that's another point. So it's looking pretty good. You know that you're gonna run into a good, good population of fish in the middle of summer. Mm-hmm. Good call. Single favorite smallmouth lake? Mm. Uh, for me, I'd have to stay, say Sturgeon Bay. Yeah. Uh, I, the answer should be Malax for me, but it's, it's actually not. And only because I am such a smallmouth you know, guy, I, I absolutely love them. So I'm going to say St. Clair because St. Clair is the only – beast of its own i've never seen another lake like it that you can't put two rocks together on that lake it's it's mostly sand and sand grass and just a barren bowl it's be like malax with no rocks in it so 
for a guy that like grew up chasing smallies and looking for rocks and figuring out how to find sweet spots in rocks, uh, St. Clair is very special to me because I, you can't do that there. They're kind of, they're kind of, they do their own thing. So it's, it's such an anomaly of, of a small mall factory. Hmm. Very interesting. And you, um, and you'll lose a couple of the muskies every now and again too. They got giant muskies out there. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Oh, yeah. Favorite lure in depth for largemouth in early spring? Lure and depth? Yep. You got one lure and one depth. Where do you go? That's, I don't know if that's possible, but I'm going to say if it's largemouth, I'd probably say a chatterbait in four feet or less with grass. There you go. Where do bass normally bed where there isn't much cover or laydowns? Um, you know, anywhere that they can find the right bottom to do it. The, the, the bottom is more key than the laydown. Sure, they're going to use something like that if they can, you know, put their butt up against it and kind of use it for protection or whatever. But it's big about what's on the bottom. So you want to find a harder bottom. Sand is going to be real key, gravel, rocks, stuff like that. They want a hard bottom because they need to be able to, you know, get the stuff off and have a nice firm bottom to put their, to put their eggs on. Mm-hmm. Good answer. What's the best way to fish timber? Mm. Kind of depends on how deep it is, I guess. If it's, if it's shallow, you know, a lot of guys will throw, throw a square bill crankbait around it. I personally will throw a spinner bait a lot more than that. Um, you know, and if it's deeper, I throw a jerk bait a lot. What's your go-to bait for dock fishing? A jig. Mm-hmm. 3-8 ounce jig. And Bingo. why is that? Uh, I like it because I can skip it really good if you have, you know, a, a jig with the right head style, like a, I mean, I, the one that I designed is kind of for that, for Kariji. Um, it's an arky style head or a sparky style head, so it's kind of flat, so it skips real good. And they're, they don't get hung up as easy as a lot of other things, and the hookup ratio is really good. Okay. That attracts big bites. Big bite. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're all looking for. <laughs> What's your go-to crankbait? Rapala DT-10. Is there a specific temperature when fish go into pre versus spawn versus post? Yeah, uh, they get pre-spawny, you know, over 50. I think Pat did a good job with that. They start getting spawny around 60, 65, you know. 60, 60 is kind of an odd number because they say 60, but if you're just getting 60s, you know, a lot of times when they're full on on beds, it's more like 65, 66, 67, something like that. Like it really warms up. And then post-spawn is just going to be when they, whenever they got done, whenever they're done spawning, you know, whatever. Sometimes it gets so hot quick and jumps up into the 70s right away. Sometimes you got another little cool front. So it's mostly water temp, big time important, pre-spawn and spawn. Mm-hmm. And does that, does that exact temperature change across the country, or is that still pretty relative everywhere? 
it's, it's pretty relative and, and temperature is not everything moon phase is a big deal time of year is a big deal and water water level will, will be you know some fish depending on the fishery won't spawn till the water gets up into the bushes if, if it fluctuates up and down um and water temp still still a big deal in time of year but if they know their water's right they'll go and the moon moon's another big one you know full moons and new moons definitely push push fish to have that urge for sure mm-hmm What's your go-to cold water finesse bait? Mm. For smallmouth, I'd say a net rig. Uh, but I, but I, that's kind of a that catches them no matter what the water temperature is. I was gonna say, 365 days a year, <laughs> yeah. they're on that. Day. But if it's if it's if it's cold and and I kind of know where they're at, I feel like I could catch them on that. Okay. What real ratio do you use? For bait caster or spinning bait caster? You know, they Must didn't ask, so I'd say each of you take one. Well, bait caster, you, if you're just going to buy one reel, I'd say a, like a seven speed, seven gear ratio, um, like a seven speed. But really, I use a six, a seven, and an eight. So if I'm throwing a, like a, a deep crankbait, I, you can't really use a fast fast reel. You want something a little bit slower, like a six speed. That'll help you know, let that bait do its deal without washing it out, stuff like that. Uh, if I'm just casting and reeling like spinner baits, buzz baits, I like something like a swim jig, like a seven speed, because I can still get after it when I want it back in. And I still got the, you know, when they bite, I can catch up to them quick. And then when, anytime I'm flipping or football jig, anything that I'm dragging and then use, and then setting the hook that way, then I want like an eight speed, something super fast so that when I set the hook, I can just, I can catch up to them, you know, all the quicker. Perfect. Do you like buzz baits for topwater fishing? I do. Definitely. Okay. For the fishermen who aren't familiar with bass fishing, best equipment and lure to start with? For the angler, what was that one more time? Just for your beginner angler, what what do you recommend for uh, rod, reel, and lure to start with? Yeah, I'd, I'd start with a spinning rod and reel. Um, bait casters require a little bit of practice, a little bit of, uh, of skill to, to get good at, you know, just because you got to use your thumb uh, to stop it. So a spinning reel is going to be good, and you can use a spinning reel to, to fish for bass literally anywhere. I always have uh, spinning rods on my deck. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite fish to catch on light tackle? A smallmouth bass. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. Heck of a fight yeah, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. When you got fish on the electronics, do you keep throwing at it until it bites, or do you give up at some point? Oh, yeah, well, I mean, if it don't bite, sometimes you got to give up. And and that that's something to be said, like anyone who's got a, you know, has spent the time bed, bed fishing knows you can get, you can get stuck on a fish for a long, long time, whether that's tournament fishing or just your, you know, your Sunday that you get to go fishing, you can get stuck on a fish for a long time. Well, the same is true now with electronics with active target. Now I can see them at all depths and there's a learning curve. Like I just got one, Lawrence just came out with it. So, you know, they, they had a version of it. It wasn't quite as detailed as what I can see now. So now there's a giant learning curve. I, I can see it. I, I can see them. But now I catch myself in tournaments sometimes spending too much time on a fish that's just not going to bite just because I can strictly, I can see it, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that new you know live scope, active target, 360 yeah. imaging. It's kind of a double-edged sword. There, you can see them, but sometimes they just don't want to bite. No. What technique do you wish you were better at? Oh, definitely suspended fish. Um, it, it kicks my butt every single year. Uh, it's just suspended fish are difficult for me. I've, I've my whole life I've excelled at finding like you know using my electronics and, and finding the spot on a spot the you know something different about what's going on and suspended fish don't relate to anything one reason why i generally don't do well on spotted bass fisheries they kill me in the points every single year because uh, that's a pelagic fish it, it likes open water and i don't like fishing for that and another thing is i'm from minnesota and we're always frozen that time of year when fish like to suspend and stuff like they do mm-hmm. uh, in the winter in those reservoirs so i uh, suspended fish are definitely my my weakness for sure. Yeah, makes total sense. Um, can only fish one the rest of your life, deep or shallow? God, I don't like <laughs> that question at all. I feel like a sellout either which way I go. I'm gonna say deep. I'm gonna say deep water. Deep water. I like looking at those electronics and finding stuff that maybe other people didn't. Okay. One tip to catch smallmouth on rock piles. Yeah, well, they're generally, they're always going to be on rock piles. They really like rocks because crawdads are usually their main forage, depending on where you're at. Um, so don't be afraid to get hung in the rocks. Same with the weeds. I know that's not the question, but a lot of times when I guide and stuff, people try to avoid the weeds, but you actually got to go into the weeds because that's where the bass wants to live. So same with rock piles. You can't be, you know, you're going to get hung up some. You just got to get it free or, you know, get another bait going on that. But, uh, you know, try to find baits that are going to come through rocks a little bit easier on you. Tubes, Ned rigs, football jigs, stuff like that that is made to come through those rocks. My, my swim bait head from Ocast, that's a good one. Uh, but you got to attack the rocks because that's, that's where they live. Mm-hmm. Great advice there. Best tackle storage tip. Hmm. I like tackle storage. Uh, I've, I'm a little bit anal about it when it comes down to tackle storage. I've had, you know, I've fished so much that I've taken so many waves over the front of the deck that I've opened up crankbait boxes and hook boxes that were just all. I don't, what I do is a lot of times when it comes to my terminal tackle, so for like jigs, so if, if there's football jigs I like, I order those football jigs and then I take, you know, good freezer bags, uh, good, you know, Ziploc freezer bags. And I store everything inside those inside of a box. So I'll just write like half ounce on there and I'll throw all my different color half ounce jigs and just wrap it up and put it in the box that way. Same with hooks. Hooks I always leave in the package. Um, One, you don't want your hooks bouncing all around, stuff like that, because they'll get dull that way. But two, I just always know I got a nice fresh hook and they just lay in there and then you don't get rust rust if water gets in there you're gonna you're gonna have to throw that whole box out at some point so i'm just big into protecting the tackle that i have the stuff's not cheap so i definitely i like to reinforce it by taking it out of its original package and instead of just putting it in the box i put them in bags and then another thing is once i've used it i won't put it back in there until it's dry because if you put it back in there that's going to be that's going to be your problem when you open it back up one day that wet bait's going to cause a lot of them to rust. So just, you know, just being organized and definitely everything's on the fly. So the more organized you are in the boat, the better off you're going to be on the water. Mm -hmm. Man, that was a lot of great advice there. (laughs) How much does scent matter with lures? Scent? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, for me a lot because I my dog is a predator and he's always on my boat, so I got to cover <laughs> up his. I got to cover up his smell. Uh, they know him. Scent's important. I think if if anything, it covers up our smell. You know, our scent, and you know, we're touching the lure a lot when we're flipping. But with anything, you know, I mean, what makes you hungry when you smell the grill going and you can smell those steaks on the grill? That's going to kind of get you going. So I I think scent's a big scent is a big deal. And one thing I noticed on on these bigger tours out here is they're using scent you know they're they're putting it on there and the advantage you can get to trick that to trick that bass is, is going to be a big deal mm-hmm. best rod and reel for frog fishing uh like a seven and well okay two frogs there's there's a popping frog which is more of like your open water style frog you don't want to throw a popping frog necessarily in the lily pads it's got an open mouth it's meant to be a, kind of a popper so for that, it's all open water, you know, throwing out laydowns around docks. Uh, a seven-foot medium heavy action rod would be pretty ideal for that. Uh, but when we're talking about like every what everyone's thinking, bombing a big a big a frog into you know big patches of lily pads and stuff like that, you definitely can't bring a, a knife to a gunfight. You know, you got to have a, a seven and a half foot heavy action rod with a a reel and, and big braid because it, it ain't like. It ain't like that two and a half pounder you're pulling out of there. You don't need it for that. You need the eight pounds of vegetation that it brings with it is why you need that <laughs> that big tackle for sure. Yep, absolutely. Pat, you back with us? Not sure. All right, go to lure in windy conditions. Uh, you know, wind wind's relative but if you know one thing about wind is that you can use it to trigger fish you know you can chase the wind you you can chase the wind because it's going to make fish slip up a little bit more because you can get closer to them they don't know the boats there uh the bait looks a little bit different you know looks more realistic to them so i tend to go with a little bit brighter colors that's when a lot of times you know i heard uh, an old guy used to fish with back in the day. I always said, w- w- you know, in the wind, white is right. You know, to throw that—that's the color to throw because they can see it so good. That—that's um, that's the one they're going to come out at. Um, but again, flashy stuff. So whether it's white or whether it's just blades on a spinner bait, something flashy in that in that will definitely pay pay dividends. Perfect. Favorite bait around lily pads? Mm, either a Texas rig Cinco that I can flip into them or a frog over the top of them. Ooh, good choices. Why don't I see a fish on your wall? I only see antlers. This, that must've been Pat. <laughs> that was a question for Pat. Both of these are VRBOs. We, I'm sure he's got deer and fish hanging in his house, just like I do. So yeah, I would um, think so. Is, okay. This is a VRBO. I don't know what they got going. Oh, there's a couple antlers. Yeah, yeah there, antlers there are antlers there, so. there. I don't see any fish though. You know, no, no, that's no, not, that's not have, on your, they, have a, a, they do have a private bass pond right back here. So I'll give them that. I'll oh, them there that. we go. Get a little yeah. extra practice in. Okay, six pound smallie or a fifteen pound largemouth? Well, fifteen pound largemouth. So that's like that's like a that a fifteen pound. I don't even know if I met anyone that caught a fifteen pounder. So about thirteen, I think, is the biggest that I've ever seen. Or I mean, I've heard of bigger. There's definitely bigger out there. So I'd have to take a fifteen pound largemouth. I've caught six pound smallies before. Okay, there you go. Um, related, what's the largest fish you've ever caught? Uh, my biggest smallmouth is six pounds, nine ounces, and I've caught a few, you know, right up around that number. 
my biggest largemouth is nine pounds, 15 ounces. And I've caught a nine pound, 14 ouncer. I've caught a nine pound, 11 ouncer. Cotton, maybe 59 pounders, but I haven't broken a 10 pounder yet. So close. So, well, we'll get there. We'll get I, I have reason, reason to wake up in the morning. <laughs> there you go. Got to have those goals. That's right. Uh, what's your recommendation for length of floral leader? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. If you're using an FG knot, you can go about as long as you want. So uh, because they're not so thin and long, you can bury it into your spool when you reel. So you can use a longer leader. Uh, mind you, though, when it comes, you know, when it comes out. So for certain presentations like a wacky Senko or a hair jig or something like that, a little bit smaller leader would be good. But at the same time, when I'm most of my spinning reel applications that I'm using a leader, I probably am running like a 20 foot leader. Interesting. Are there any techniques you practice before going on a body of water? Um, well, yeah, well, for sure. If, if, if I'm going to a place that is, that I'm not, that is notorious for a certain style of fishing that I'm not very good at or very, you know, that, yeah, that I don't know very well, I'll, I'll try to practice that at different lakes. Um, or try to practice that presentation a little bit to, to do that. But other than that, it's mostly just, you know, map study, a little bit of internet study. And, and honestly, I, I, I don't do a whole heck of a lot. Um, I'm not very good at getting preconceived notions out of my head. So I try to eliminate them. And every now and then fishermen are known for being liars. So you can't necessarily <laughs> go off of what you hear all the time. So I, I, I don't do a whole heck of a lot. I make sure I'm prepared. I make sure our camper's good. My boat's 100%. All my rods are rigged up, and I'm good to go. And then I really find that when I fish with an open mind out there and fish the moment, that I'm a lot better. If I come in with preconceived notions, I usually don't have a very good finish. Mm -hmm. Just want to adapt to those conditions. Exactly. Uh, Minnesota, what depth of water are you targeting in mid-July? Or smallmouth or largemouth? Well, uh, mid July, I'm starting for smallmouth. I'm starting to go deep. I'm, I'm definitely, well, both, both fish, I'm, both, I'm either going deeper or thicker. One of the two. So I'm either going to start looking out into deeper water for them, or the ones that stay shallow are going to get up in some of the thickier, nastier stuff, largemouth. Um, so that that's come July, you're either up, you know, throwing a frog, punching milfoil, flipping stuff like that docks, or I'm, you know, off outside the weed lines and all that kind of stuff, looking for mostly schools of fish at that point. And, uh, you know, I, I, a good number is anywhere between, and it's all relative to the lake, but 10 to, you know, well, I think the whole country, 10 to 30 is, is a good number, you know, summertime, summertime fishing offshore. Okay. All time favorite plastic to throw. Ooh. All-time favorite plastic. This I'm going to say a Biospawn Exo Swim, which is a paddle tail swim bait. And I'm going to say that because they come in multiple sizes, so I can go after any of the forage. But bottom line is fish eat fish, and that would be a, you know the best fish imitation out there. So a paddle tail. Okay, we are we're nearing the end here. Thank you for thank you, you for come. bearing with us. <laughs> um, Best tips on bluegill forage lakes? 
Uh, yeah, where the bluegills, the forage. Yes. Yep. Um, chartreuse dip and dye is really good on the tails of like a green pumpkin colored jig, green pump colored plastic. You know, if you see them in the water, they always have that little bit of chartreuse hue to them. Um, you know, at their tail or something. So just a little bit of that, like chartreuse dip and dye would be, is nice, nice touch generally around your, your green pumpkins, um, are going to be good. And I still like a jig because depending on how you dress a jig, it doesn't always need to look like a crawdad. It also can look like a bluegill just kind of depends on how you dress it. You know, and what, what you use for the plastic, the chunk is, is kind of the biggest deal on it. So your, your green pumpkins and then, and then whatever you do, you know, whether you use like a paddle tail on it, or maybe you use like a, you know, like a little something that moves a lot. There's so many different ones on the market, all good. Uh, but green is going to be a good thing. Green pumpkin and definitely a little bit of chartreuse uh, uh, will help out a lot too. Okay. Fish and smallies. Would you rather have overcast or sunny days? Probably overcast. No, I'm going to switch that. Sunny, just because they can see so good. So most of the time they're going to bite. I'd really like to have sun and wind. That That's a good, that's going to be a really good mix of the two. But uh, generally with sun, they can see up. They're going to be looking up a little bit more. And then they're also going to get a little bit tighter to stuff. So whether that's rocks, drops, boulders, whatever it is, they're going to try to get in the shadows of it which puts a bullseye on stuff for me. So it gives them a little bit more of an area. When, when you get overcast, they're going to start roaming a lot more, which can, you know, start to get the better, better side of you. So I guess I got to take the sunny days. Okay. What's your thought on these big umbrella soft bait rigs we've been seeing a lot lately? Yeah, the, the, like the Alabama rig, umbrella rig. Um, that's what we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's fun to throw. It, it's fun to throw. Every state has different laws on it. I don't never throw them anymore. Uh, rarely, rarely, I shouldn't say never, rarely will I ever throw it. One, I'm from Minnesota and we don't have shad. So they're not keyed in on shad on the regular. So it's not really that big of a deal. Uh, two, we can't use them in tournaments. And I'm really only interested in fishing for stuff that's going to make me a better tournament angler. So I'm always trying to figure out a, a better way. But they're also fish catchers. They're a good time to go throw. So, um, yeah, you know, don't break them off because there's a lot of there's a lot of tackle, a lot of money <laughs> in tackle on that bad boy. So don't break it off. Keep yeah, it off. for sure, for sure. All right, last one for you, Josh. Thoughts on chatterbait trailers? Yeah, that's a good question. That's one. That's a, that's a really good question. Uh, chatterbait trailers. So you either have three three different varieties for the most part that I know of. You have your standard, which was like a fluke style. Uh, Yamamoto makes the Zayco. There's a few different ones. Z-Man makes one. Um, something Shads. I can't think of it. It's like Shads with the Z. So that's going to be your straight tail, like a fluke. Um, mimicking a bait fish. I like that because I, when I like that is when I want my bait to have a lot of vibration because the head, just the head, it'd be more profile. The other version would be a paddle tail. I probably use that the most. And I just don't know when or why I use a crawdad one, but I do. I kind of just switch between the two. I generally tend to go with more of a craw style, like a, like an exopod or a menace or something like that on it in the spring. 
and then tend to veer towards the paddle tail come post spawn. But really, that that's not even necessarily true now that I think about it. So re really, I just I'm experimenting with those three. The one time that I like to use just the fluke, I can answer that one the easiest is when I'm yo-yoing it. So when when I'm killing the bait and letting the bait fall, then I want something to like kick up like a tail. You know what I mean? Like point mm -hmm. straight up and it doesn't have a lot of like extra wobble to it. So I can just up and down, up and down and get a lot of times instead of flipping, I'm flipping a chatterbait. And then when I pick it up it goes, and then I let it fall again, they bite it when it falls. So I don't want a whole lot of, a lot of other stuff. If I'm swimming it, then it's either going to be like a cross style or a paddle tail. And I really don't have a good answer on it. I honestly, I'm playing with them both. If it's dirty water, I'm probably going with that cross style because it's just going to move a whole bunch of water between the blade knocking against the head and the crawdad flappies going crazy. Uh, that and then clear water, I'd probably go with the swimmer. Okay, awesome. I mean, that's that was an incredible amount of information to digest in a really yeah. short period of time. My mind just. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so, awesome. hey, greatly appreciate your time, you know, all the all these questions that you've answered. So, you know what? Uh, best of luck. Uh, best of luck on the tournament trail this year. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, everybody, for having me on. And any questions, keep them coming. And I, I like it. I could do this stuff all day. We're just talking fishing. So, good time. I appreciate <laughs> you go. having me on. That's why you do what you do. That's right. Oh, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.